The following presentation is brought to you through the power of science. Ooh, shiny. Welcome to Generations Geek, a family-friendly celebration of geekdom by a father-daughter synchronized diving team. I'm Scott Pearson, and this is my daughter, Lucy Van Foxpelt. Hello. And we are two generations of geek. This is episode two, The Hound of the Geeks, our special all-Sherlock Holmes show. We'll be talking about Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, as well as some of the actors who have played the character on TV and in the movies. Some we love. Others, not so much. Sherlock Holmes has been portrayed in silent films, stage productions, sound films, radio, TV, in computer and board games, novels, comic books, everything. For every character named Sherlock Holmes, there are others with different names inspired by the original, perhaps one of the most well-known being Dr. Gregory House on the Fox TV series, which ran for eight seasons. Because the character has been so widely adapted, there's no way to be comprehensive. We're just going to pick a few versions we've watched and talk about what we loved and what we didn't. Sir Arthur Conan Doyle introduced Sherlock Holmes in the 1887 novel A Study in Scarlet. From then through 1927, Doyle produced three other novels, as well as 56 short stories featuring arguably the world's best-known fictional detective. Lucy, you've read a lot of the original stories, right? Yeah, I read some abridged versions when I was in, like, fourth grade. And I started reading the full versions when I was in, like, sixth grade. The first time I read the original Hunt of the Baskervilles, it was all actually on my iPod Touch. So I had to swipe through all of the pages. And there are enough pages in the Hunt of the Baskervilles <laughs> without taking it down to this tiny little, like... Yeah. like <laughs> Maybe not the easiest way to read the novel for your uh, first uh, time. <laughs> But but I read it. I read it all. It was like something insane, like 968 pages or something. Really and did you love the stories right from the beginning? Yeah. I've read a lot of them as well. I don't think I've quite read the entire canon yet, but I think I, I might have read some when I was younger, uh, around your age, but uh, mostly I read them, I think, in college and just loved them. Of the originals, uh, do you have any that stand out as being favorites of yours? Well, I've always loved The Hunt of the Baskervilles. Is that just because it's got uh, animals that feature in it? <laughs> That's the one that I think that I have not read. I don't remember all the names of the short stories because I own the entire thing. So all the short stories and novels are all in two big books, so it jumbles together. So we, we both love those original stories. When you move on from the stories into some of the other productions, there is a ton to choose from. And we'll tell you just a little bit about some of the ones that we've watched. Peter Cushing is perhaps most well-known to a certain generation as Grand Moff Tarkin in Star Wars. And when I say Star Wars, I mean a movie that came out in 1977, no Roman numerals, and that's that. But that's a discussion for another show. He's also both Van Helsing and Dr. Frankenstein, courtesy of a couple series from Hammer Films. Again, that's a discussion for another show. It was Hammer Films that produced the 1958 Holmes film, The Hound of the Baskerville. In 1968, Cushing returned to the role, this time in a, a second series of a BBC television version. Sixteen episodes were produced. All but six have been lost. We watched the two-part The Hound of the Baskervilles and The Boscombe Valley Mystery. So, what did you think of The Hound of the Baskervilles? 
I didn't like it. They had sort of an odd live play feeling to it, which yes. I didn't really like. I don't know. The actor who plays Watson is sort of weird. And the things they chose to leave out or leave in just weirded me out. Yeah. The show had some strange production value. Uh, it had the, the common BBC technique of the in-studio stuff was on tape and the exterior shots were on film. But to me, the thing that was really strange watching it is those interior shots, the taped shots, were filmed very much like a stage play. They were trying to zoom through the production as quickly as possible. And so there weren't a lot of setups. There weren't a lot of cuts. They would just they were just letting the cameras roll and moving around a little bit to go from uh, one actor to the other. So it just didn't uh, build dramatically in, a, in, a, in an effective way. And there were even a couple of times that there were obvious mistakes. There was a part where uh, Watson started saying, his lines early. He got out a couple of words and then he stopped and the other actor said his line and then Watson came back and said his line over from the beginning. So that was definitely a drawback to the production. However, I would say that Peter Cushing makes a good Sherlock Holmes, not the greatest, but he's got the the looks for it and uh, he's a fabulous actor. Although I did read some interviews with him about the show, and he himself wasn't pleased with his performance because he thought that the production was so rushed. Was there anything else that you wanted to say about Pound of the Baskervilles? You said you didn't like some of the stuff that they left out. I couldn't remember quite all of it, but it seemed to me like they were just like skipping over some stuff that they needed to develop. Sometimes the clues would be too obvious. Yeah. Like, at the beginning, there's the point where Sherlock looks out the window and he says the specific type of dog that the man they're talking about has. And Watson's like, well, Holmes, how could you know this? And he's like, oh, because they just walked in the building. Well, yeah, but you were looking out the window, so it makes it too obvious. Yeah, and and that brings us back a little bit to the the Watson character as well. Over the, the years, the Watson character has often been done kind of a disservice in various productions because they end up using him as comic relief. Other times they make him seem a little bit too stupid to help fortify that Sherlock's the smartest guy in the room. And I think in this production, the Watson character is kind of in that ballpark. He's He doesn't have a lot of presence, and he seems to be there a lot just to react to stuff that Holmes does. Yeah, like at one point they're in the pub and Sherlock says, well, I'll be right back or something. He's going to do something and he tells Watson to wait there and Watson's like, well, all right. And he takes this really awkward like swig from his mug full of whatever and makes this weird yeah. face like, it's kind of weird. Yeah, it's not a great production. I still kind of enjoyed it because it's fun just to see stuff produced in that period. It's kind of interesting to me and I'm fond of Peter Cushing. But uh, we were determined to be fair and give him more of a chance. So even though we found Hound of the Baskervilles to be a little disappointing, we watched uh, another episode, the Boscombe Valley Mystery. And I thought that one was much better. Because they were doing a short story instead of trying to adapt one of the novels, I thought that that uh, they were able to do the story better in that time period. What did you think about that other episode? Not feeling it. I think that... Um, I mean, generally, you're forgiving about production values and stuff, but I think that in this one, it is a challenge that uh, the low production values or the 
maybe the speedy production values, the fact that it really seems like they're rushing through it does make it hard for them to really build the drama when they're doing all this stuff in one take, one long take, and keeping in mistakes. In this episode, there was one where one of the characters uh, is using a cane, and he hangs his cane on a chair so that he can light his cigar, and the cane falls off to the chair and clatters to the floor. So after he lights his cigar, he has to bend over and pick up the cane. Well, I think it was pretty obvious that they didn't plan that as some sort of bit. You know, it was it was an accident, but they just kept the tape rolling and and kept moving through the scene. So and there's also there's one point where Holmes finds some ash from a cigarette or a cigar or something underneath a rock, and then later on, when you find out the rock was used for the murder, but then there's no reason why the rock should be over the ash at all. And then when they show the guy dropping the ash off his cigar, he also drops the cigar, and there wasn't a cigar there. Well, I didn't think that it showed that it was under the rock, but you're right. The way they handled the clues there was very strange, because also, wouldn't the ash have been... The ash was, like, back where he was standing... And then when he picked up the rock and went after the guy, the rock should have been far away from the ash, right? Yeah. Instead, it was all like in one spot. So the staging there was careless. And I didn't even notice the other thing you mentioned about the guy throwing down the cigar. Yeah, because he was standing by a tree. And then when he, he got angry and he went for the rock, but he dropped the ash and then he dropped his cigar and then he... Yeah, so there should have been a whole cigar there for Sherlock Holmes to find instead of just the ash. Although, it, you know, it's more dramatic to just find the ash and kind of match it up to the ash later in the episode. But it wasn't so, that dramatic. Yeah, they, they, <laughs> they clearly established that the guy had done it, and then Holmes kind of, as an afterthought, <laughs> brings out the ash. <laughs> yeah. so, so it didn't really pay off dramatically. So our verdict on the Peter Cushing version <laughs> is kind of mixed. Would you overall give it a thumbs down or, or yeah. what? It didn't, didn't work for you? No. No, and I, I think what worked for me was primarily just Peter Cushing himself. So for you diehard Peter Cushing fans out there, you might want to check it out. But it's not necessarily a high point in uh, Sherlock Holmes' uh, history. Jeremy Brett appeared in 41 episodes of Sherlock Holmes, produced by Granada Television of England, from 1984 through 1994, he had two Watsons over the run, David Burke in the first two seasons, and Edward Hardwick in the rest. Lucy, had you already read some of the stories before you saw Jeremy Brent? Oh, yeah. And so what were your first impressions of Jeremy Brett being familiar with some of the stories? I just think he's perfect. Yeah, I'm on board with you there. And as are a lot of people, if you look up Jeremy Brett on the internets that the kids like to use, you will see a lot of people saying that he is the definitive Sherlock Holmes. And I think there's a lot of reasons for that. He physically really resembles the character as described by Doyle. Yeah, he's thin, he's pale, long fingers. Yeah. He also just really brought to life the character as described by Doyle and, and captured all the various little twitches <laughs> that Sherlock Holmes has as a character to Holmes, other humans are sort of interesting little insects <laughs> under glass that he's looking at. And he derives a strange kind of glee <laughs> from the, the, the people's problems. And you can see when you watch Brett, 
closely, you can see him having these little smirks, these little grins, these little like twitches of enjoyment around his eyes as someone is telling them some tragedy that's happened. Uh, are there any standout episodes for you, particularly about Jeremy Brett's performance? There's one episode where he goes into a pub and there's this guy. He's obviously a jerk overall, but he starts picking on Sherlock. And the guy must be twice his size. Brett does this amazing job of just being Sherlock Holmes. So Sherlock being Sherlock just makes the guy so incredibly angry and then beats the bejesus <laughs> out of him. And then even though Sherlock is bleeding, he's still like, it was fantastic, Watson. That is one of my favorite scenes as well. It's funny and it has a sort of reserved action there in the pub, but it also develops the character because the whole approach that Sherlock takes is very studied he gets into his perfect marcus of queensberry yeah rules he's, stance. he's bouncing around yeah, yeah and, with his arms up high and the other guy's just sort of an old-fashioned country bloke who just kind of comes at him in a big kind of mauling way <laughs> and sherlock holmes just makes a short order of him very funny and very true to the character another thing that stands out about the series is this is a watson that is very true the character of the books. This is a Watson that you want on your side. This is a Watson who served in the military and he's not stupid or scared of things. He's, he's an upright man that is at Holmes' side. And he may not be Holmes's intellectual equal because no one is, but he's a sharp guy and a great partner. And the two actors that portrayed him did a great job. Do you have any recollections of, of Watson? The funny parts where Watson will say something at home <laughs> or something. And yeah, and they're able to make it funny without making fun of Watson. Yeah. The Jeremy Brett show also adapted The Hound of the Baskervilles. Can you talk a little bit about the Brett version versus the Cushing version? Oh, the Brett version is just fantastic. It's much more true to the book than Peter Cushing's version. It's just, it's a lot more effective. It's mm. creepier, it's scarier. Yeah. You feel sad for the characters more more so than in the Peter Cushing version. They weren't trying to rush through setups. It's not even that the Cushing version was rushing through setups. They didn't have setups. They just, you know, started the camera and let it roll. The Brett version was taking the time. They obviously had multiple takes. And the end result is there for everyone to see. So, in the end, what is your verdict on Jeremy Brett as Sherlock Holmes? Oh, he's just fantastic. Any Sherlock Holmes fan out there, if you have not seen Jeremy Brett, run, don't walk. <laughs> do whatever you can to track them down. They are available on DVD. You have to see him. He, he is a definitive portrayal of the character, and uh, you won't be disappointed. Okay, now we're jumping from TV to the big screen to Robert Downey Jr. He's appeared as Holmes in two films directed by Guy Ritchie, 2009's Sherlock Holmes and 2011's Sherlock Holmes, A Game of Shadows. Jude Law played his Watson in both those movies, and a third film is reportedly being written even as we podcast. So, Lucy, Robert Downey Jr. as Sherlock Holmes, what do you think? He's, he's very good. He's a very good actor, and there are definitely parts in the movie where the Holmesiness comes out. It's mm -hmm. just that not the entirety of both of the movies are completely, definitely Sherlock Holmes. They're really awesome, though. They're great fun. They're very amped up in a way that a lot of action movies are these days. Lots of flashy direction and camera cuts. And they've certainly taken liberties with the Holmes character. 
Although, for the most part, they are picking up elements of the character, but then just turning it up to 11, just exaggerating it. So you see Sherlock being like a martial artist, but there is roots of that in the original character, that he was a good fighter. One of the things I didn't like is they changed a lot his relationship with women. They made him more likely to date a woman than the original character, who was very much a loner. Except for Irene Adler. And, then, and of course, they made uh, Irene Adler in the movies. They used that character as sort of the main woman that he's uh, interested in. So they were still using elements from the original stories, although twisting them in new ways to make it fit into this over-the-top action-adventure kind of film. He still has a lot of his antisocial tendencies that make him very difficult to be a friend. And Watson certainly is uh, frequently frustrated by the things that Holmes does. But Downey portrays it in a way that's a little bit more likable than Jeremy Brett's performance, perhaps. But that's a fair change to make for this, this kind of film. One of the other elements that I thought they used nicely was Watson getting married. One could argue they used it to a better effect than the original stories did. There were references to Watson getting married in the original stories, but Doyle sort of lost track of his own continuity over time, and there would be no reference made to uh, Mrs. Watson for a while. But in the Downey films, they made that a big part of the story, and I thought that was a, a great use of an element from the original series. There were lots of character references where some of the same names would be used. Yeah, they pulled names out of nowhere. That was Yeah, so that was fun. If you're a person who's read those stories, then there's another layer of enjoyment. But the movie would work just on its own as an action movie if someone wasn't aware that Moran in the second film is one of the characters from the original stories. Jude Law, who plays Watson in this, is a great actor. Uh, Lucy, what did you think of the use of Watson? It's very good. They do downplay a little bit the fact that Watson was actually living with Holmes for a very long time. They sort of have him living in 221B, but they very quickly develop a plot line wherein he moves out and Holmes is miffed that his friend is going away and yeah, Watson's like, it's dude, because he's getting married. Now. Yeah. It's a great use of the Watson character. As previously discussed, the Watson character is sometimes the comic relief. He certainly is the source of a lot of humor in these movies because of Robert Downey's uh, hijinks as Sherlock Holmes. But it's done. Which are the hijinks are funny in their yeah, own right. But it's uh, it's done respectfully, and Watson is a guy in these movies that's very strong. He knows how to fight. He stands up for Holmes. It's a great use of the character. They do this fantastic thing where before Holmes gets into a fight, they'll take you into his mind and what he's planning to do. And it's it's very effective and very interesting. It's just, it's, it's really awesome. Yes. And they used it to great effect in the first film, sort of establishing that he could run through a fight in his head beforehand and then it would play out exactly as he had planned it and then they did some great things in the second film where it didn't turn out the way he planned it he meets his rival how did we not mention moriarty it's just it's gut-wrenching yeah moriarty is used in the second film along with mycroft home yeah a stunning performance <laughs> from stephen fry as uh, sherlock's brother the amusing thing is that on the one hand Robert Downey Jr. and Stephen Fry bear absolutely no resemblance to one another. But on the other hand, 
Stephen Fry is amazingly perfect casting for Mycroft. We weren't aware that Stephen Fry was in this movie, and we're very big fans of his. It's weird because he comes out of nowhere, so we both freaked out. And we actually had to stop the DVD for a so while. So we could handle the just the level of awesomeness. <laughs> I think my immediate reaction was, no, that's too much. It's not possible. That's too awesome. He has sort of a pivotal role, and it was uh, just marvelous yeah so once again we're down to those uh the final verdict here robert downey jr as sherlock holmes thumbs up or thumbs down thumbs up it's very good but it is also a bit of a stretch for us it's almost yes. it's almost it's borderline sci-fi like victorian london sci-fi yeah it's got a kind of steampunk atmosphere it's we would both heartily recommend these movies, but the purist just has to be prepared that this isn't your grandfather's Sherlock Holmes. Yeah, if you're hankering to watch straight-up uh, adaptations of the stories, then that's not then, what you yeah, want to then, watch. Then you go back to Jeremy Brett. Now we're moving back to TV and the BBC for Benedict Cumberbatch, who took up the character in the new series Sherlock in 2010. A second batch of three episodes was broadcast in 2012, and a third batch will begin production in 2013. Martin Freeman plays Watson in this adaptation, which has updated the stories to be set in modern-day London. In the upcoming Peter Jackson film version of The Hobbit, Freeman plays Bilbo Baggins, while Cumberbatch voices both Smog, the dragon, and the necromancer, Sauron. Cumberbatch is also portraying the villain in Star Trek Into Darkness, J.J. Abrams' second Trek movie. Sherlock was created by Stephen Moffat and Mark Gatliss, who also work together on the current incarnation of Doctor Who. So this is a particularly geeky version of Sherlock, thanks to the actors involved. Okay, Lucy, modern-day Sherlock, Benedict Cumberbatch, what do you think? I love it so much. <laughs> you know, when I first heard that it was going to be set in modern day, I was kind of like, boy, what's that going to be like? But in a strange way, I would say that this Sherlock is much more purist than the Robert Downey Jr. version, even though Robert Downey Jr. is actually set in the time of the original stories. This modern one manages to be much more true to the source material. Instead of Holmes sending a telegram, he sends a text. Yeah, he texts a lot. Just very clever updating, changing as little as possible. There are some episodes where they change a lot more than others. I was not entirely satisfied with what they did with Irene Adler in the series. I don't want to say too much and, and spoil. What they did with it was very interesting, and the woman who portrays Adler is fabulous, but it is significantly different from the Adler of the Doyle stories, and so that put me off a little bit. Let's talk about Hound of the Baskervilles. What did you think of their take? It was fantastic. Everything they do is fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> this was one of those ones where they went quite far afield yeah, it's, from it's the original. Yeah, it's very different. It's a lot more modern. Instead of one guy doing this one thing, there's this entire military base. It becomes a science fiction-y conspiracy paranoia thing. Benedict Cumberbatch rivals Jeremy Brett. I don't know if he quite makes it, but... I think he does. If anyone was going to provide competition to Jeremy Brett, Cumberbatch is, is in the running. Well, he's another actor that just looks exactly like Sherlock Holmes. He's tall, he's skinny, he's got Sherlock's cheekbones that and he's... <laughs> Brett didn't quite <laughs> That's pull true. Off. And, uh, and he's got a fabulous voice that's very commanding. 
they do a fantastic thing where one of um the reoccurring characters has this massive crush on Sherlock and of course he is aware of it and yet somehow seems completely oblivious to it. He will say things that are unbelievably cruel. He's not necessarily setting out to say something unbelievably cruel, but in his sort of disconnected from the way real humans experience emotions. Yeah, it ends place, up being this thing that's something. just like, oh. But there have been some scenes where he realized that he had crossed the line and, and done a wrong to this person. And so those were... were Nice scene. We try to be very family-friendly here on Generations Geek, but in the original Sherlock Holmes stories, Holmes occasionally uses some drugs that are illegal now and are horrible for you, but in the time period that Doyle was uh, writing, these drugs weren't illegal. Actually, Doyle was quite forward-thinking in this regard because he has Watson chastise Holmes. Sherlock is very open about it, and actually, when they're first meeting, I think, offers Watson something. Now you're talking about the original yeah. story? Watson just right away is like, no, I don't want that. And he's like, wouldn't you say that although it has very entertaining abilities for the mind, the effects that it has on your physical being much outweighs the entertainment? And Sherlock is like, no... so generations geek is saying kids don't do drugs they're bad for you (laughs) we're discussing a character here going back to benedict cumberbatch in uh, sherlock in the 21st century they have a a a bit with him uh having a bunch of nicotine patches on his arm it's a great use of an original element but they're also being very careful how they use it and keeping it very subtle and i think they do a great job with uh, mrs hudson whom we haven't discussed before (laughs) She gets a little bit more to do in this show than what she has done in some of the in the previous things we've discussed. Yeah, Mrs. Hudson is quite the character and actually has a bit of a backstory with home. They have this wonderful inside joke where she's always like, I'm not your housekeeper. And then she goes around and like makes them tea and like cleans yeah. up the apartment. <laughs> it's a great use of the character. And we, we certainly have to talk about Martin Freeman as Watson. They've updated his story as well, but it's still true to the original that he is a veteran. He is a stand-up guy that you want on your side. He's not the comic relief, although they do have a lot of fun with the characters that is entertaining and funny. But it, it doesn't make him the buffoon that that the character sometimes becomes in some of the other adaptations. I don't know if Sherlock would necessarily be family-friendly, and we're not even going to go into the differences between the original Irene Adler and... Oh. Irene Adler and Sherlock. I had meant to have sort of a disclaimer (laughs) at the beginning of this segment that this is not a family-friendly Sherlock. We had to include it because we love it so much and it's such a great adaptation. Exactly. Parents, screen the show first before you let your kids watch it. Some episodes are are more friendly than others for a younger crowd. But since it is a contemporary show, it is addressing things in a more contemporary way. So that's going to make it a little less friendly to the younger crowd. Yeah, it's not as reserved as the the other adaptations. The other adaptations and the original stories, although they were obviously still about unsavory subjects, murder and such... It was done in a much more reserved Victorian way, and so it's much more uh, friendly to a younger crowd to read the stories or see the adaptations. This one, not so much. (laughs) One interesting side note, I read an interview with Benedict Cumberbatch 
and he was talking about remembering watching Jeremy Brett when uh, Cumberbatch was a kid and how much he loved uh, Jeremy Brett and thought he was just the perfect Sherlock Holmes. Perhaps is one of the reasons why his performance is so great is that he that it's informed a little bit by Jeremy Brett. So uh, then, once again, in conclusion, Benedict Cumberbatch as Sherlock Holmes, what do you say? Yay. Yay, yes. Yay. Perfect, fabulous show. If you haven't seen it, you must. Uh, purists, you'll be astonished at how true it is to the original stories, even though it's been updated a must-see. And now we're on to the final segment as we've taken this chronological journey through a variety of Holmes originals and adaptations. Now we're with Johnny Lee Miller, who is starring in the latest take, Elementary, a 2012 CBS television show set in modern-day New York and featuring Lucy Liu as Dr. Joan Watson. Interestingly, uh, Miller and Cumberbatch are friends and performed in the London National Theatre's stage production of Frankenstein. In the play, the two alternated playing the roles of Dr. Frankenstein and the creature. Now they are playing two different versions of the same character. Lucy, what do you think of Johnny Lee Miller as Holmes? I think he's a good actor. <laughs> that is a, 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 a left-handed compliment, if ever there has been one. I barely made it through the first episode. When I first heard about this, I was very intrigued by the idea of making Watson a woman. It is a good idea. I then read a comment from Stephen Moffat saying that he thought that they had changed too much. For his version, all they changed was the time period. Everything else they tried to keep as much as possible the same as the original stories. In this new version, they've changed the setting to modern day. They've changed from London to New York. They've chained Watson to a woman. There's no talk of a brother. And instead, Holmes is talking about a troublesome relationship with his father. They've changed so many key elements that I think they may have gotten too far from the original character. But now, specifically the pilot, for me, the crime involved was so far-fetched. It was very odd. I won't go into the details of the crime because it's not family-friendly. It was just unbelievably complex. We all know how clever Holmes is. We all know how he can infer amazing things from small details. Sometimes that gets overwritten. And I think that happened a couple times in that pilot episode where he extrapolated far beyond what even Sherlock Holmes could have done. All that negative stuff said, the actors involved are good. And I think that some of the elements that they are trying to use from the original stories have been used to good effect. Moving into the second episode, for instance, the use of the violin was a nice touch. I found the second episode much better than the first, although that's not saying much. What did you think of the second episode? It was better. I... I... I'm not the best person to review this in any <laughs> rational fashion whatsoever. Because just as much as you love Benedict Cumberbatch, you despise this new version. I, yeah. It does not work for you at all. No. I'm not as rabidly against it as Lucy, but I also don't see myself going back to it. You know, One sort of esoteric thing I had with it is that you see that Holmes has a lot of tattoos. I don't get how that fits together. What goes through Sherlock Holmes's mind to decide I want to get a big old tattoo across my back? It's weird because the first time Watson meets Sherlock, it's like she walks in and he's just staying there with his shirt off. And you're like, and he's okay. got And he's got ink all over. Yeah, it's like, okay. And to me, it's just like, why, oh, uh, how does Holmes have ink? I, 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 I can't... Yeah. 
it, it, uh, that doesn't uh, go together for me. I have nothing against tattoos. My problem here is putting tattoos together with the Sherlock Holmes character as I understand his mindset from the original stories. It, it comes across as the, a modern production saying, how do we make Sherlock modern and edgy? Oh, we'll give him a bunch of ink because that's what the edgy kids do these days <laughs> or something like that. And to me, it's just, I don't know how it lends itself to his character. When they did the great bit with the violin in the second episode, that seemed to fit in not just with the Holmes character as originally conceived, but with certain elements of what they're having this character go through. The crime of the second episode brings up another Holmesian series, House, which I mentioned at the top of the show. And I loved House, but one thing that bothered me about House was that he almost never solved the medical mystery directly. He would be trying to figure out the medical mystery, and then he'd look at the TV, and there'd be the Kensington Dog Show playing, and a breed of dog on there would make him say, Wait! I know what's causing the woman to have seizures! I exaggerate slightly, but it annoyed me that it was always these really indirect, obscure other things that would cause his light to turn on and figure out what was going on. And that is exactly what happened in solving the case in the second episode of Elementary. I just hope they don't get trapped into using that formula, because what I want to see in Sherlock Holmes is Sherlock solving the crime directly through the use of his intellect and the clues. One good thing about the show is that they are keeping Watson directly involved. Watson is a strong character, has an, her own interesting backstory, and I think that they've done a pretty good job of, of using the woman version update to the character. Although one could say that perhaps they're going a little bit too much into the backstory. There's a little bit too much drama going on and not enough crime solving. So, in the end, Johnny Lee Miller, what's the verdict? I would not recommend a Sherlock fan rush out to see Elementary. It's a well-produced, well-acted series, but as far as their use of the Holmes canon, it gets mixed marks at best. While it may have popular success, Conan Doyle fans will find it wanting. Well, that's all the time we have for this episode. We're running a little long, and the roadies just want to break down the equipment and figure out what was wrong with Lucy's mic. Before we go, remember that Generations Geek is a part of the Chronic Rift Network, which broadcasts from a Victorian airship over the North Pole. Please give their other fine podcasts a listen at chronicrift.com. And please follow Generations Geek on Twitter, like us on Facebook, and check out our website at generationsgeek.com. Thanks for listening, and come back next time. No geeks were harmed in the making of this podcast. Ooh, shiny. <laughs>